1: Okay, so I hope you enjoyed the new spiced-up intro. The jury is still out internally, uh, so I'd love your opinion. Okay, so I'm a notoriously awful self-promoter, but a quick note before jumping into today's interview, I've published a book called Communion. It's a compendium of all my comusing's essays from 2020, many of which I have read here on the show. In this book, I've also attached various writing exercises to the essays, exhortations for self-examination and expression, if you will. So if you are so inclined to purchase one, it is available at onecommune.com communion. Okay, so today's guest on the show is Diego Perez, better known under his pen name, Young Pueblo. Diego is the author of the new book, Clarity and Connection which is a collection of short and wise musings on the nature of suffering, freedom, relationships, and healing. As you will soon hear, Diego and I share myriad convergent interests, including Buddhism, meditation, the middle path, the importance of completing oneself, and the utility of creative expression. We delve into all these topics and others and Diego reads a number of selections from his new book, and we collectively dissect them. It's interesting to note how differently Diego and I talk about our shared passions. I, admittedly, am the more verbose. Diego has a gentle, poetic simplicity to his writing and speech that is both cogent and visceral. This is one of my absolute favorite discussions I've had on the show, and I hope you find it equally scintillating. So, without further impediment, Diego Perez. All right, Diego, good to be with you. Thanks for coming on the Commune podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm very happy to be here.
1: So, I am in possession of uh, your newest book here clarity and connection congratulations on on that it's a beautiful piece of work and as i, I was telling you i've been spending many nights with my long suffering wife of <laughs> of 3 plus decades um she's in costa rica now but before she left we were reading this in bed before uh, before going to sleep and and having some epif- epiphanies so I, i'm I'm happy to be uh, an owner of it, and I'm looking forward to discussing um, numerous selections from it, um, sure. and also potentially touching on some of the broader leitmotifs of your work uh, and the ideas that seem to perfume a lot of your writing. Uh, but first, maybe you could describe a little bit about how you came to scribbling down all this wisdom. And, <laughs> uh And what are some of the ground conditions or or central principles that
2: inform uh, your body of work? Definitely. Um, So yeah, I never planned to be a writer. Um, I kind of stumbled upon it after I started meditating. Um, I really, you know, was kind of like pushed into meditation uh, because I wanted to just deal with what was happening inside of me. I had so much uh, anxiety, so much sadness that had been bottled up and then just kept growing over time. And eventually, it just led me into developing really nasty habits that were making me incredibly unhealthy and pushing me into greater unhappiness. And um, and then there came a breaking point where I almost lost my life. You know, I almost died early from too much drug abuse. And um, at that point, I just took a real big shift in my life and started being really honest with myself, started uh, building better, healthier habits, and just um, before meditating, started trying to get to know myself and just practice not running away from my emotions, because uh, it was not it was running away from my emotions that led me to such a dark place. <clears throat> now, when um, it was about July of 2012, when I started meditating, and I did my first silent 10-day Vipassana meditation course, and it was pretty. Profound and transformative, you know I wasn't like fully healed or anything like that after it, but I saw that the tension in my mind was decreasing, and I was pretty impressed by that, so I kept going back and after about the third one, I noticed that there were definitely significant results that I was seeing, and I wasn't even yet meditating daily you know outside of the retreats um, so I felt this kind of like spark of creativity bubbling up, and also this um Like idea around healing forming, because I was pretty shocked that healing was even possible. And that kind of inspired me to start jotting down different ideas and kind of like playing around with writing. Um, And that eventually took on the form of all this Young Pueblo work that I'm putting out now. Um, But the real sort of central principles that guide it are this bridge between personal transformation and global transformation and trying to really connect the two and show that when you do increase your self-love, when you do get to know yourself more, then you're actually going to be much more creative, you're going to have much more energy for life, and you're going to be much less likely to harm yourself or other people. Um, And I think that creates a very special like synergy um, within individuals so that they can then, you know, be active in the world in a whole new way and just come up with new solutions to these old problems that are, you know, that humanity is facing.
1: Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that journey. And I suppose doing the individual work, there's an irony to it because the more you do it, the less individuated you actually feel. Uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. um, That, um, you know, Oftentimes, I think you know we talk about doing the inner work, but that that can be sort of a, a vague meme sometimes. And what what does mm-hmm. that actually really mean? What does that work look like? Um, and you know, oftentimes that is you know an examination into the true nature of the mind or mm-hmm. gaining greater insight into the reality of things, sometimes it's just, you know, witnessing phenomena arise moment to moment, just watching. I mean, obviously the breath is, is very, has a lot of utility in that because you always have it, right? Until, yeah. Until, yeah. Until you, you don't, but, um, but I think that ultimately through a lot of these practices, you know, regardless of tradition, one gets a glimpse into sort of the realization of the non-self um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and feels a greater connection or interdependence in the world around them. So I think this is, you know, that doing the, the self-care um, that you've talked very eloquently about in many, many videos and in your work, um, in some ways uh, it unveils this truth that self-interest and the collective good are actually one and the same thing <laughs> we tend mm-hmm. to think of those things as very separate <laughs> um you know I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about freedom um mm-hmm. and what that has come to mean to you because uh, i think your definition is is unique and interesting
2: yeah um so i i really think that freedom is something that increases as the tension in the mind decreases. Um, So there's one thing where I've been thinking a lot about how healing and walking a path of liberation, they move side by side for a certain period of time. But when you take the path of liberation, like for me personally, like I started meditating to like feel better in my mind. Um, But then through meditation, I was introduced, sorry, I was introduced to, to the path of liberation. And once I started learning about it and experiencing more within the mind body um, and just seeing the interaction between the two and literally, you know, feeling what you were saying, like feeling how, like when I ask myself, what am I? And I'm experiencing directly like, oh, this is actually just this incredibly rapid combinations of mental and physical phenomena that is creating this like momentary perception of Diego or this ego of Diego. But in reality, if I were to, Try to deeply feel what's happening, it's just movement, it's speed. It's this mm-hmm. um, changing phenomena that's occurring incredibly rapidly. creates the illusion yeah. of me. But being able to you know perceive a little more deeply into that, it does help um, just sort of like alleviate a lot of suffering. And then slowly the path of liberation just kind of opened up, and I saw more and more that like you know it's it's worthwhile for me to take the Buddhist teaching very seriously. So I do like to give a pretty light sort of definition as you know your freedom increases as attention in your mind decreases but um but ultimately like if you were to ask me now what is freedom it's the you know total eradication of craving the craving that causes suffering yeah yeah absolutely
1: yeah and we tend to be in that place of dissatisfaction on the regular um and, <laughs> <all the time. laughs> and uh I will get into it because I think one mm-hmm. of the passages you, that you'll talk about um refers to the seeking of external agents to assuage that that craving or or those mm-hmm. discontents, and you can it, it, and that's there's a mus- multiplicity of external agents to <laughs> to uh to seek out um and in a way you know like, uh, you know, you talk a little bit about, you know, your, your drug addiction in a way that could actually even be seen in a positive light as a, as at least a symptom or a reflection of looking for some greater connection, right? It's just, mm-hmm. you were seeking it out in, in a way that was quite destructive, but there was mm-hmm. this, there were, there were the seeds of wanting to have a connection. And, and I think, you know, to the degree that we can point people in the right in the right direction um that would be helpful for for a lot of folks and, and maybe human <laughs> and maybe humankind so i wonder if you could get into a few of um the passages uh or musings from from your book there was one that refers to th- relationships and I, the, the beginning is three thoughts and i think that uh, occurs on page 95 of, the, of your book. So I wonder if you're okay with it, if you would read a few of these and um, we could start sure. with that one and then we can just talk about some of the ideas that, that these passages address. Great, I'll start now.
2: Three thoughts. Relationships normally start with two people wanting to treat each other well. Harm is caused when someone does not know how to properly manage their reactions to their emotions. If you think you are your emotions, then your words and actions will resemble your mental turbulence. In relationships, it is important to understand that the other person cannot fix your emotional problems. At best, they can support you as you uncover and process your own emotional history. There is no such thing as a perfect relationship but there are incredible relationships in which the mutual connection and support are indescribably profound.
0: Mm.
2: Nice. Thank you. This
1: passage brings up a number of different thoughts for me. Um, One is around the nature of emotions themselves and Mm -hmm the confusion that seems to exist around the nature of emotions, uh, even around the language associated w- with emotions. Oftentimes we hear people say, I am angry mm-hmm. or I am sad. So that identification that, that you talk about. And then the other point is the nature of relationships themselves and the thrusting of uh, of the requirements on one's ego of one's ego onto someone else for fixing and um and how that is rarely profitable, so I wonder if you could unpack maybe just the nature of emotions and how you understand that and your your, your Buddhist background might maybe be <laughs> informative here a bit <laughs>
2: yeah, it's funny. I like the way that you just you know highlighted that key that key aspect about you know, I am angry because when I reflect now on um, how my wife and I talk to each other, what we'll often say is like, fear is coming up or anger is coming up, you know, and it's not, it's not like, I am angry. I am afraid. It's, it's just this, this thing is moving through me right now. And I want to be aware of that. I want to acknowledge that. And I also want you to know as well so that we can both like, you know, maneuver it well as it passes through. And, um, and we can deal with this skillfully. Um, oftentimes, I think a lot of emotions occur. They're almost like the sounds that reactions make, you know? So like we will, a situation will arise and it'll remind us of how we felt a long time ago. And then that old reaction will come up and it's like, oh, this situation here reminds me of a long time ago where I felt fear. And now I'm going to feel fear again. And you're going to compound that fear, and then you're going to feel it momentarily. And then again, it'll sink down into the subconscious, just making that imprint of fear, you know, a little deeper, um, so that you'll be you know, you'll have a disposition to feel it again in the future when a similar situation arises. Um, So it's kind of like a tricky situation where, you know, it's one thing you you want to let yourself feel whatever's happening, but you also don't want to be dominated by it. And that's um, something that especially through 2020 and everything that's happened it's you know just kind of realizing okay like yeah i feel tension right now or i feel anxiety or i feel um like unsafe and i'm going to be with it without becoming it and that's mm-hmm. just been such a massive gift because you know you don't want to throw more fire onto the fire you know let the fire burn itself out let it be what it is honor it let it you know don't suppress it but you don't want to feed it either yeah
1: this is one of the most powerful and potent lessons i think of of vipassana practice or Mm -hmm. um, is an awareness that emotions are just appearing and disappearing in consciousness moment to moment you you didn't produce them or or put them there (laughs) they welled Mm -hmm. up under the crust of of consciousness and, and appeared and you know, when we do fixate or identify with them, our behavior becomes adrenalized. And, mm. um, you know, often particularly with fear or outrage, which I think we see reflected in in the world a lot right now. Mm-hmm. We become, you know, I, I often refer to it as sort of amygdala hijack, where we are, <laughs> are just in this place of constant fear. And of course, there's a biochemistry associated with this as well, where there's cortisol and epinephrine flowing through our body, and then, you know, our our behavior is is reflected um, in a way that is convergent with that. Mm-hmm. And um, this has been one of the biggest keys. I'm still very much a student, but it, at least in the in in the relationship that I have with my wife and my children and other people to really be able to witness the nature of emotions and how they appear or how they arise and subside Mm -hmm. and, and almost, um, uh, almost like key into the signature that each one of them has or the valence that each Mm -hmm. one of them has. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, Rumi has that great poem about, you know, that emotions are sort of visitors coming to a party, you know, some of them invited (laughs) and some of them uninvited and they just sort of come and go, but you are the house. Right. And there's there's a lot of metaphors around that. You are the sky. And these emotions are just thoughts and sensations and clouds passing through your your field of awareness.
2: I think that's, that's, you know, I love the way you're piecing it together because it reminds me of just the value of impermanence, right? The teaching of impermanence. Like Mm. one time, uh, A while ago, before the pandemic, I think it was like one of the last events that I had in public, someone asked me, like, what is, like, how can you summarize what you're learning in this life? And I was like, impermanence. This is like the main thing that I'm studying. Like, I study it, you know, intellectually, and I study it in the body. I'm constantly just feeling change happening. And it opens the door to this, like, massive amount of wisdom when you're able to really just embrace and deeply commune with the fact that impermanence is happening rapidly and all of the time. And I think it was through, you know, feeling impermanence that, that helped me see like, Oh, right. I'm not, I'm actually not this anxiety. I'm not this thing. That's, you know, it feels very intense. It definitely does. And it's very, feels real, but at the same time, I don't need to just make it worse. Um, and it's been pretty, you know, it looks like it's like this, these small amounts of liberation that happen very tiny, tiny amounts, you know, but I'm really curious. Who did who did you train with? Are you from Mahasi, or you know, where did you get your Vipassana training?
1: Oh, this is completely autodidactic. I will say. I mean, I, <laughs> I certainly had teachers, uh, yeah. Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, uh, probably the most prominent among them, um, and uh, just had the fortune of, of being around some of them.
2: Which that's is great. Uh, I I feel yeah. like I hear I hear a little like Upandita coming out of you, but that's probably via via Sharon. And <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then
1: kind of more recently, I've keyed into Sam Harris um, mm-hmm. and sort of working on um, the, the distinction between sort of dual dualism and non dualism mm-hmm. as it pertains to meditation um, mm-hmm. and and sort of breaking down that subject object. Uh, dichotomy mm-hmm. that is that is present in in, in typical Vipassana, um, where you are still the witness where in more non dual traditions the the delineation between kind of self and the outer world completely begins to dissolve, and there is just the world and I think that this unveils uh, the illusion of self. Um, mm-hmm. That we seem to be um, moored to. Uh, yeah. but this is a very much a work in progress, I will say. <laughs> and, and as you say, it is very, it is a very gradual process. Um,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: That you know, it, it's only bits of the of the jigsaw puzzle that get revealed on a <laughs> and it, on a on a slow basis. But so um, oh, I think you know another thing that you know you touched on with emotion. And there is this human proclivity to look at stories from our past and then project them into the future oh, yeah. um, as, a, as a way to sort of continue to live within anxiety or stress mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. fear. This is certainly uh, a big journey in my life to, um, to connect with that impermanence, as you say, that really the experience of being human is sort of bobbing down this stream of, of ever changing phenomena, Right. (laughs) Um, but that we carry with us, uh, what I have started to refer to as the contents of consciousness,
2: um,
1: which are the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves that inform our our sense of identity. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, and uh I almost think of these as like snapshots of of three dimensional space time like cheese craft singles like mm-hmm. stacking on top of each other right and then um and that then we're we're sort of bringing those stories along with us that create a sense of psychological continuity which informs mm-hmm. like what what it's like to be Diego, like you wake up tomorrow, you're not gonna be. Uh, a, a Lakers fan, if you're a Knicks fan or whatever, right, right, right. Um, um, that you know we tell us our us we tell ourselves these stories about our life to to keep us moored to some kind of sense of identity, um, and uh, so we're sort of living at this strange intersection between consciousness and the contents of consciousness or or personhood, and um, I think it's, there's this very subtle interesting
2: dance between those
1: things anyways
2: <laughs> i i um it's funny because you're you're hitting on something that i've been thinking about a lot recently and it's it's how right the the old you is totally gone right the the, the you of an of an hour ago the you of five weeks ago the you of 10 years ago it's it's just gone because you're changing so incredibly rapidly at the mental level the atomic level the physical level it's just this immense waves of change that are occurring but these imprints in the subconscious they're definitely there and they're sort of pushing and morphing the future you so even though they've passed there is this like a slight kind of pushing motion that is sort of you know morphing the future existence of you and though you still have choices it's still something that is like it's it's to me it's like pretty impressive that the previous moment is so similar to this moment right now right. but then right. it's not always like that sometimes there are drastic moments of great change where you just become this totally different person or you make some serious life changes but most often the last moment is similar to the next moment and I just think it's 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 really interesting it's a um, it's almost it, like a a little mystery yeah
1: it's a fascinating inquiry and honestly it opens up this door uh To a discussion that maybe we would schedule for another time around free will <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, right. be- the, and the the illusion of free will and then what inputs we actually have through meditation into being able to eclipse our genetics and our environment and you know series of prior causes and and randomness that seem to determine mm-hmm. a lot of of where we're going um, anyways, so this is fascinating. Topics that that we can put in a in a cubby hole for for a later date. Um, I do want to get to um, the the other um, interesting component. I think of of that passage that you read, which is about relationships and mm-hmm. around and around. Um, you know, the idea of looking to others to fix you, yeah. and uh, I wonder if you could um, attack that notion for a moment.
2: <laughs> it's so interesting that 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 is like the most common kind of like tactic that we have. The first thing is like uh you know, help me. Like help help me figure it out or help me solve this problem. And the help can be bountiful or it can be scarce, but people can totally support you. They can support you in great profound ways, but at the end of the day, your mental situation is your own. And what has happened to you is, you know, totally real. Like some people may have caused you great harm. But ultimately, who has to do the unbinding work? Who has to do the work of letting go? Who has to do the work of self awareness? It's you, you know, you're the one who's going to build these qualities, no one else can build the mental qualities for you that are going to support and create your happiness, you know, and especially if you want to, if you do want to develop happiness, you do want to develop inner peace like that, that takes mental training. You know, you're going to, whether that is through therapy, whether that is through like, you know, private introspection that you're doing on your own, whether that's through meditation, it does take you putting effort in. And it's the type of effort that no one can do for you. People can support the conditions for you to be able to have the space to do this work. But ultimately, you know, you're the one that's going to have to traverse your own inner forest. You're the one that's going to have to have that that courage to see all the parts of yourself, even the darkest parts. Um, yeah. And then there's no way around it.
1: <laughs> no, no, there isn't. And yeah, this is something I've certainly confronted in my own life, which is um, kind of think of as an attachment to my little self or, or mm-hmm. you know, my ego that constantly... Uh, you know, seeks approval or bases my identity through the eyes of others or um, that sees myself in competition with others or defined by my achievements or my social status or et cetera. And um, and that constantly defining myself in relation to all of these kind of external relationships. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, that has always been a pathway to suffering um because i'll never match up <laughs> you know i can i can always I, well i can find almost anyone in the world more ripped than me <laughs> to be yeah, honest yeah. but i can also find millions upon millions of people more wealthy than me more successful with me more followers than me you know all of these kinds of uh, you know things that we're 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 sort of basing our our all these metrics of success that seem to you know, inform who we are, which are, are, are very dangerous. So, um, cool, well, maybe we'll, we'll go on to page eight if you don't mind, Yeah, uh, because this is also a gem and it brought up a lot of uh,
2: thoughts and questions for me. Mm. I spent years unaware that I was running away from myself, always seeking company or entertainment so that I would not have to face the dark clouds storming inside of me. Every moment was an opportunity for diversion. Friendships were a means of escape. Pleasure, a temporary relief from pain. I did not notice that my relationships were shallow because of how far away I was from myself. I did not understand why solitude felt unbearable and why fun could not permanently settle turbulent emotions. For far too long, I was unaware that the only way for life to improve, for my relationships to feel rich, and for my mind to finally experience ease, was for me to explore and embrace the anxious unknown that dwelled within.
0: Hello, it's British Jeff, and if you're a regular listener to this show, then you know how seriously I take health and happiness. However, perhaps like you, I can often put me health and happiness at the bottom of my own list. Well, fortunately now, I have a new partner that makes it simultaneously easy and delicious for me to invest in myself. FX Chocolate is a new supplement company that profoundly cares about health and happiness. And they've created seven different supplement variations, each one lending targeted support to a specific need. Nutraceutical ingredients like ashwagandha, reishi mushrooms, phytocannabinoids, GABA, L theanine, Anaoe, and melatonin are expertly packed into a handcrafted square of delectable, keto friendly dark chocolate. These chocolates are delicious and I have to fend off me bloody teenage children from pilfering them. But of course, I do understand their peskiness as eating chocolate is a pretty bloody enjoyable way to take supplements, so I suggest you check them out. Now, it's true that this past year has been one of the most arduous in our collective history. It's a small but mighty gift to know that taking care of our bodies and getting the nutrients we need doesn't have to be a drag. So, in that context, FX Chocolate is offering the Commune podcast listeners 20% off their first order. Use the promo code COMMUNE20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order at fxchocolate.com You can have your chocolate and you can eat it too. So, use promo code COMMUNE20 at checkout at fxchocolate.com
1: So <laughs> this brought up a number of thoughts and, um, and interpretations, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, friendship, which I take here very literally and metaphorically for mm-hmm. me in terms of how I interpreted it. Um, friendships were a means of escape. Pleasure, temporary uh, uh, pleasure, a temporary release from pain, and friendship. And I think the literal sense here is always kind of seeking to um, assuage your discontent or or satisfy your your wired need for connection through through being with others. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and the diversion of being with others. But I could also imagine friendship here being a relationship with anything outside yourself.
2: Mm. So
1: a friendship with the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, the friendship with <laughs> Instagram, chocolate cake, uh yeah, yeah, social yeah. media, uh other people, approval of others, et cetera. And um and so anyway, it was um for me, what struck me about this is again that we are seeking things external to ourselves mm-hmm. um, to um, to address our feelings of inadequacy or deficiency, and uh, and we have so much difficulty just sitting with ourselves. I uh, mm-hmm. think there's a that famous Blaise Pascal quote, I believe, which is. I'll butcher it here, but all of man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room alone <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not that's not quite it but um so what w- what do you attribute that to? Why do we have so much difficult just being alone
2: i uh, I think uh, you know not only is it it's difficult, like you said, but I think it's just a lack of learning um like no one you know taught me my parents didn't teach me how to sit alone and the value of that no one ever taught them how to do that and I think for a lot of people especially in the western world like this is a pretty new concept like you know even western psychology is pretty new um, so in terms of like sitting with yourself in a meditative fashion or even enjoying solitude and being able to measure your personal growth in relation to how much time can I spend alone and be okay with myself, you know, these are all pretty new concepts. So I don't like, you know, there's no like blame to be placed on anything. I think it's just this, like us moving into this deeper understanding of how to function, not in the material way, because civilization has been developing in this manner where it's like, you know, how can we eat? How can we protect ourselves? How, what's our relationship to our environment? And now it's like, what's your relationship to your mind? Because now that it, we have the environment, you know, now that we're like controlling the environment, not to our benefit, but in the long run to our detriment, because we're totally out of balance with our our environment. But we also see that, okay, our our minds are out of balance. So how can I, what can I do? And I, it's funny because a lot of times, like I like to write about letting go. And one of the most common questions I get is like, how do you let go? Like, how do you, how do you do it? And there isn't an easy answer. You know, people have very different conditioning. What's What they've accumulated, their emotional history, the different traumas or difficulties that they've gone through, it's all very unique from person to person. So what you were mentioning earlier, like the contents of the mind, you know, our minds may have a lot of similarities, the structures of our minds, but the contents of the minds are worlds apart, you know, and um, I think being able to just understand that, Now we live in a pretty special time where we have some of the best tools globally available. Like now you can search online and go to Google in a lot of places in the world and just search like, what can I do for my anxiety? And you're going to get some stuff that you could probably try and get some benefit from. And like I said earlier, whether that's, you know, a light form of meditation, a serious form of meditation, or some form of therapy one-on-one or seeing a psychiatrist or even doing something like journaling. There's just so much out there that can help you start that process of getting to know yourself and start that process where you have enough courage to no longer run away and sort of overcome that um, like superficial relationship quality that is so common when we don't know ourselves. And it's funny because thinking back on that piece, I was like, okay, let me try to write exactly how i was like (laughs) 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 yeah how how directly can i put it together and but with a lens from the present because when i was going through those motions back then it was all unconscious like i didn't know what i was doing i I, I barely even recognized that i was even running away
1: yeah yeah Yeah, that that is so true Uh, a lot of this wisdom or freedom from craving or dissatisfaction comes from this one little change in frequency this one little switch um to becoming a witness right where you can say oh wait a minute you're almost floating above yourself and you're saying oh wait a minute i'm doing that for what reason (laughs) and you become engaged in at least you know a bit of inquiry Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this was like, uh, early on kind of in my, um, in my journey where when my kids were young, you know, and I would inevitably get something would happen and I would inevitably get frustrated. And then there was a switch that went off that allowed me to witness myself mm-hmm. being frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then th- that gave me some kind of agency, um, to, uh, as I began to witness it, the feelings that then would well up in me, I I could change the valence of those things um, over time. Again, there's a really brilliant guy named Michael Beckwith who runs a a, a church Mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles called Agape. And I was speaking with him once, and he said something that was profound and stuck with me. He said, loneliness is a loneliness with yourself. Yeah, yeah. And um, and at first I was a bit confused by it, but as I began to excavate yeah. it a little bit, I, I started to understand that, you know, when you really do love yourself, when you accept yourself, when you feel completely enough outside the approval of others, mm-hmm. then you are no longer lonely, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, you know, you can always enjoy the company of friends and the feeling of connection um, that they give you, but without being in sort of a constant state of need, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, uh, this is part of the, the unveiling. You know, when you talk about um, the search within mm-hmm. and, um, and not seeking incessant diversion, uh, but actually going inward to mm-hmm. find that sense of wholeness. What does that actually mean for you? You know, What does that practice look like?
2: For me personally, it's, um, it's really spending as much time as possible, specifically when I'm meditating, just communing with the truth you know, because you can get so easily caught up in all of your narratives. And it's healthy to understand yourself at an intellectual level. But a lot of letting go, from my perspective, happens when you're able to be with what you feel. And similarly, be with it and also understand that it's all changing. And when you allow yourself to have this sort of um looser sense of identity where it's not just like, oh, I've experienced this difficulty and this difficulty is a defining thing in my life. It's it's more so I did, I experienced this hard thing and I gained a lot of wisdom from it, but now I'm also a new person and I'm overcoming that. And um, so that's one thing that I try to encourage people is like, see yourself as a river as opposed to a rock, right? There's nothing to go back to. The past happened, it's, it's done. But what you can do is deal with the patterns that you accumulated from the past unbind them. And that will help you um, just be the best version of yourself now. And um, But it's interesting because when I, yeah, when I go inward, it's just this um, communion with nature, like communion with truth, communion with, um, with trying to deeply feel the reality of change, of impermanence. And it's funny the way, you know, you when you spend a lot of time with impermanence, you do get to witness yourself and you have that space where you can sort of see yourself as an observer and watch things come and go. But there's also even this, uh, like, a bit of a deeper expansion from from my perspective, where it's like, even the observer is changing. You know, yes. you, you, think, you think you're an observer, but in a way, you have to, like, be the observer to then let go of the observer and understand that the observer also has components, changing components, your perception, your feeling your consciousness, it's all they're all these moving, changing things that they feel like they're real and that they're all sort of like coalesced very tightly together. But if you're able to sort of, you know, raise your awareness and deeply spend time feeling impermanence, you start noticing the impermanence within these very tightly wound components. And when you loosen up that self self, you know, that sense of self and you start entering the world of anatta, and entering the world of no self, um, the amount of love that comes from that that well right this ability to like Mm. be like oh right like this balance of the ultimate truth with the conventional truth because yeah absolutely Jeff and Diego are having a conversation right now and it's wonderful I'm really enjoying it but what's also happening you know it's just like these two bundles of subatomic particles that are hanging out that are (laughs) just moving really rapidly and for some reason we're you know spending time together and, they're, and it's not real, you know, Jeff and Diego are, are there, we're here, and we're also not here. And um, I think being able to balance those two truths and even spending time, you know, feeling the ultimate truth, it has just made so much more space in my mind to not get lost in all of the, the narratives, um, because it's one thing, right, you don't want to avoid the hard parts of your life, but you also, you know, want to acknowledge them and then be able to, act in the present without the past dictating the way that you're going to behave
1: yeah there's something very there are many things many threads to pull on there but the the one thing they said at, at the end really is is um inspiring me in one particular direction um which is we often live in the narrative self yeah and and not the experienced self
2: wow and, nice
1: Yeah And um, within the narrative self, as you begin to sort of project Mm. past stories into the future, what you're often doing is creating what I've heard as anticipated memories. Mm. So, (laughs) and, um, and this becomes, I think, a very dangerous place to live if you're, I mean, the narrative self is, is important because we wouldn't be here having this conversation if we hadn't made some plans and, and uh-huh, you know uh-huh. sent you a link and you know you logged on and we we re- <laughs> relogged on a couple of times um, and so there the, there's nothing wrong with the, the narrative self but to be too anchored in the narrative self mm-hmm. I think does you know create these anticipated negative memories where we are projecting past events uh into the future past events that have elicited certain negative emotions and, and then playing those those forward um so yeah and, and then i think the other point that is i think fascinating is that on that deeper journey um into becoming the observer there is a point at which even the observer dissolves
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there is only the world mm-hmm. Uh, That the distinction between self and the world is no longer. And that that is the the true uh, unveiling of of the illusion. And, you know, but this happens rarely for me. I mean, I look at like Eckhart. I'm like, he's there all the time. (laughs) Um, How did he do that? Um, And and maybe he isn't. Maybe he's just a magician. But, um, But I think, you know, these are the moments... That you know, Jesus and Buddha mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Muhammad, all these prophets and mystics have prattled on about forever. Mm-hmm, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, which is either nirvana or Brahman, mm-hmm. uh, or unity consciousness, or you know, the sensation of being connected to a power greater than you. Um, you know, this is a you know you know, obviously we've, we've told stories and then institutionalized those into religions, but, but there's a moral intuition sitting behind all of those things or, or, or not right. a moral, but an intuition sitting behind all of those things that seem to point to the same direction, which is that, you know, in true inquiry, that the true nature of reality of insight, of Vipassana is, is revealed. Um, and we're, you know, Lucky enough to get glimpses of those from time to time. Um, so let's, um, you know, move into the uh, the next one, which is um, on page one forty, if you don't mind. And uh, sure,
2: here it is. Talk about commitment. It is not about finding a partner who has flawless emotional maturity. It is about finding someone. Who can match your level of commitment not just to the relationship but commitment to heal themselves so they can love better, see more clearly, and have more presence this this one um it felt really um, important to write because one thing that I find in myself and just generally in the human condition is that we're all looking for perfect moments and perfect people. <laughs> and and it um and that's that's actually like a deep deep form of attachment that is just going to cause you a lot of suffering. You know, human beings are just incredibly beautifully imperfect and understanding that and being able to you know kind of like just throw away that idea of the perfect person and actually find someone that you not only have like an intuitive connection with but that You have this possibility of really building with them, to build something beautiful with them, that they're willing to work on their own issues because everyone comes with their baggage. Everyone has their hard moments that have left imprints in them, but now are they willing to work with them? Like, you're not going to find, like, it's going to be really rare to find someone who is like, you know, totally healed or totally emotionally mature 24-7. So, but what you can do is find people who are open to these things who are sort of like ready to like dig deeper and then who can make that connection with how valuable it is to build inner harmony and how that inner harmony is gonna flow out into the harmony of the relationship. And it's, it's something that I've, you know, I found in my own relationship with my wife. We met together, we like, so we got together pretty young. She was 18 and I was 19 and we've been together for like 13 and a half years. And the first part of our relationship was just utter chaos. You know, it was just like, I didn't know myself, she didn't know herself, there was zero emotional maturity, we, we, didn't, um, we didn't know how to deal with hard moments in an effective way. So it wasn't until after we started meditating, and after we both started individually building certain degrees of self-awareness, that we started, you know, sort of like building a healthier mechanism for our relationship, or like a healthier structure for our relationship, And now we try to do our best to just like be in this like constant communication where we're like, how are you feeling? You know, or you just voluntarily say like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that good today. And it's like, great, you know, like great. Because now we, instead of allowing that feeling of not feeling good, if, you know, when you don't acknowledge it, that quickly can become a motivator for you to like jump into a narrative and then try to like make that someone else's fault and, you know, create a mess where there's no need for a mess to be at all. And like, granted, sometimes we totally make mistakes and say something, things that to each other where we're like, oh, I, um, you know, I shouldn't have said that. That was, that was really silly. But then there are are also a lot of times where, you know, my wife, she, like my, my favorite example is of when she used to commute to work in New York city and she would come back home, she would, um, you know, start telling me like, oh, you know, like I had a really hard day at work and that act alone made our evening so much better because I knew I'm like, okay, she doesn't feel that good. So let me step up do a lot more of the chores that we would share in the evening and just be like, you know, move really gently around her and just take the the sort of like the pressure of the situation where you're not expecting your partner to constantly be happy because that's just, that's just not possible. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think like, you know, from that inner harmony that you build and from that self-awareness, That communication can become so strong where you can build something beautiful. You know, you can build something really beautiful with another person. And even though it's not going to be perfect, and there's still going to be ups and downs, and there may still be disagreements, you at least will have like the patience and the you know that ability to not constantly project onto each other and just have some new some new tools that can help you just make better decisions together.
1: Yeah, I can completely relate with your story um i didn't know that you had met your wife so young um but i i met my wife skylar when i was 17 and she Mm -hmm. was 18 Mm -hmm. and i'm 50 now (laughs) and uh we still um put up with each other here (laughs) um and uh, but when i you know like you when i was 17 i was in a great place of need you know right. i was certainly not whole in any way yeah um and and who could you know sort of be expected to be at, at in, in their adolescence um you know and like everybody else i had my my own you know emotional vicissitudes of that time and you know i really re- i really needed her to help heal me at that point mm. and um and she for many reasons is a very strong woman and is a rock but in a way she realized at a very young age that she was not there to heal me she was there to help support me heal myself yes and um and when i when i read your this particular passage um i wrote something in reaction to it it's very short so i'll just Mm -hmm. read it um when someone is healed, they are whole. They don't require others to bolster their self-esteem or define their identity. From this absence of need, true love springs forth, and love transmutes from something taken to something given.
2: Mm. That's and, beautiful.
1: Thank you. Yeah, but well, completely inspired by your work, um, and I think that that is the that inflection point at some point where you realize that true love, not just as an emotion arising and subsiding and constant in consciousness moment by moment, but true love as a state of being,
0: right.
1: um, right. really is the investment in someone else's growth. It's mm-hmm. actually something given. It's yes. not always something taken.
2: Absolutely,
1: And, um, and this is a it was a very long journey for me to to come to
2: terms with that idea but i think you've crystallized it here i love that you're um talking about love as giving and it's funny cuz there's um i think sometimes a bit of fear around the idea of unconditional love unconditional love but it doesn't mean that you have to exist without commitments because if you can find someone who is has enough fortitude to also give and you're both giving to each other then you're going to find that you're both way more fulfilled and now you're not going to be reading each other's minds and anything like that it's going to be a very you know communicative type of love where you're meeting each other where you're at but it's it just feels incredibly you know profound to be able to just realize that yeah you know we can give to each other selflessly but at the same time, we can communicate, you know, these are the areas that I think I need support right now in this point in my life. And if the other person says, oh, you know what, I have so much love for you that I'm actually voluntarily willing to show up for you in these ways. Now, I may not be able to all the time, but in this moment in time, like this is how I can show up for you. And I think that's like, it just creates a, such a, um, a haven in the relationship where you're just making this real safe space for the both of you. And you can keep like assessing where the both of you are, because as people develop and as they do a lot more inner work, then their needs are actually going to become lighter. And the way that they, you know, want to show up for each other is going to change. And it's something, it's a pretty beautiful process. One thing that I love is like after, you know, my wife is also a really serious meditator. And um, after we come back from retreats, like we just did a, a, we both sat a 30 day course between January and February. And, um, when we come out, it's like, we're getting to know ourselves all over again, because Mm. so much of the old conditioning has been burned away. Now we're trying to figure out our new likes, our new dislikes, like, what are we interested in? What do we, you know, if we want to watch TV, what do we want to watch? You know, what do we want to watch? Or it just feels like, uh, like it's just new. It's a a new, it's a new moment in life that we're spending together. And that's really nice But that happens when you're willing to grow together.
1: Yeah, there's sort of a creative rediscovery um, that that infuses a relationship with perpetual freshness, right? And newness. (laughs) Um, You know, um, I think you know we often feel very much like we shape the world, Mm. but when upon greater examination, the world very much shapes the self and so to be able to take time and examine in what ways is the world shaping me what are the hegemonic influences of media or um, or or cultural mores or you know ideas that are 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 shaping my reactions to things and to have a, a respite from that is i think important Another just brief note on the on the nature of commitment. Um, I'd love to kind of get your impressions of this. Is you know, obviously, I've been committed for a long time, so I'm mm. trying to find value in it <laughs> just, <laughs> just to justify my own life choices. And but for me, this is actually true: is that commitment has been incredibly liberating for me. Oh yeah. Um, and I think commitment is so often framed within the brackets of. Sacrifice and and limitation, and what you're giving up, Um, and uh, but for me, the you know commitment has provided a springboard to take all sorts of risks and adventures, knowing that in failure there is this cushion of unconditional love to to soften (laughs) my inevitable failures and collapses. Um, And in this case, um, you know, seeing that way, commitment is actually freedom. Um, and, uh, I, I think that this is a confusion that a lot of people have, uh, of commitment always about being, oh, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And, you know, I'm giving things up. So I wonder if that you've had that experience in
2: your life. Oh, totally. I have felt, and I remember saying this for years, um, I really think that one of the most sort of like foundational Things that I've done to to help me get my life together after so much chaos was like fully committing to my to my wife and you know getting married and um, just deciding that the two of us you know separately deciding that we're going to practice life together. We're just going to do this and we're going to see it through. And it's just such a um, it's like the type of decision that just keeps giving ample rewards where we. You know, like I just I think honestly, like being married has just helped me focus on okay, how can I love my wife and my family and my friends really well? and there's no you know I'm not no longer on the search for like a good partner, and I see how difficult that search is like it's it's a hard one, and I see you know my friends struggle with it and and I feel incredibly fortunate to not um to not be looking but instead to be building.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think there's a higher power trying to get in touch with you. Um <laughs> so let's if you I, I want to be mindful of your time. Um if you do have one more little chunk of, of available space time, um, I'd love to just do one more little passage uh because I think it's so prescient for today. Um so this is from page 156 and, uh, and it addresses the middle way.
2: Mm. This one goes, Do not think in extremes. The answer is rarely all or nothing. Skillful action is finding pathways even amidst contradictory options. Solutions are found by going beyond the superficial and into the subtle. Understand that life is the integration of complexity. Everything is situational and multilinear. Find the middle path and challenge yourself to think deeper. You know, it's funny. um, I just like, in one of the last moments where we were like editing the the book and uh, making the very final version of it, I shoved this piece right in there. And um and it really wasn't wasn't going to be a part, but it's it's cool seeing that people are really connecting with it because it's totally in relation to the moment that we're in where I feel like um, you know, media and social media, it sort of sets us up in a situation where we're constantly reacting. They're like, This thing is happening and now and now what's your reaction to it? And and it's totally fine to to recognize something as like this is good, and this is not good. this is something we need to do about and mobilize against, and you know to be able to create a, a better world right or yeah. We live on this world, and part of you know living on this world is like let's let 's make it better and leave it better um, than how we found it. but the other side of that is that you don't want to be caught in a situation where someone is telling you how to think and how to feel all the time, and the, one of the like outcomes of that type of situation is that you're just swaying from like you know, I really like love this person to like, I really hate them now. And like, or this is my opinion and that's my opinion. And and you're just, there's no like in between where it's like, you know what? Um, Let me take some time to be able to really form my opinion because I actually want to study the situation a little more. And being able to understand that like no individual or no situation is just one momentary thing, but actually it's created from a series of moments And that there's actually so much more complexity than what you're initially encountering because everything is so multifaceted that that's one of the things that I really love about um, the Buddhist teaching where like our, our teacher Goenka, he referred to this like process of, you know, becoming liberated that it's literally, it's your ability to increase the amount of perspectives that you can see that you can feel that you can acknowledge and if you're able to increase the amount of perspectives then you're really gaining wisdom um and there are so many there's literally billions of perspectives outside of my own so what else is out there
1: yeah and this is this great balance between humility Mm. and seeking out multiple perspectives but also not succumbing to moral relativism because Mm -hmm. I, i do think moral relativism is a is a is a problem and um, and uh, you know, obviously, the the middle path or the middle way emerges directly from from Buddha's teachings and mm-hmm. uh, connected to the eightfold path of mm-hmm. right speech and right action and right work and a bunch of other right things that I can't remember at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> but as the path to to enlightenment or into understanding, having a better insight into the true nature of things, and. To be honest, right now, uh-huh. the middle path is potentially the most radical place one can be uh, yeah. because you know you, you don't have to look around far to notice that society seems to have completely gravitated towards binary oppositions and and polar mm-hmm. extremes and we've seen it in our you know, socio political landscape. We see it with COVID and COVID deniers and masks and don't mm-hmm. wear and vaccines and I don't want to take vaccines and, you know, blue lives matter and black lives matter and Trump and never Trump. And I mean, you just keep going on and on. And, and there does not seem to be a lot of space for nuanced conversation or complicated inquiry. But, you know, as you say, so much of the time, um, you know, the true nature of things is very complicated, and as you beautifully put, the you know, life is the integration of complexity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, when we discover these shades of gray and nuance, there's a lot of compassion in there, mm-hmm. and we tend to find moderation and consensus and the things that we really need, like social cohesion <laughs> um, in this practice of, 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 of really um, taking a lot of different perspectives into account. So I wonder, with specific regards to social media, how you've been able to forge this middle path um, because just the nature of social media itself and all of the machine learning and algorithms that have leveraged human negativity bias to, you know, spread ideas that keep people in a constant state of fear and and anxiety. Um, obviously, many people have watched The Social Dilemma,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, which posits this notion that, you know, sensationalist ideas or ideas that... Don't have any basis in fact, tend to spread six times faster than 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 truth and you know sort of paints the this picture that the truth is quite boring <laughs> uh, and non viral but you seem to have somehow figured out a way to to beat the algorithm. <laughs> you may be the only person alive that has managed to find virality in the middle path. How can mm. you? explain
2: that um that's interesting i think um it's a a mixture of minimalism the message and right place right time um i i you know when i started off i really wanted to combine a lot of these like my perspective on these old ideas um but i wanted to bring them through this lens of minimalism i wanted to chop out as many words as possible that's why my first book inward is like incredibly lean um this my new book clarity and connection it i think it's like twice it has twice the word count that inward has um but at the time when i started i re- i really wanted to just like let me be as direct as possible because i know the speed of the internet the internet just moves incredibly fast so if you want to try to connect with someone, especially on like a a deeper idea, um, you only have a moment. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that plus the fact that um, it feels like the right time. I think we live, especially with my generation, um, like we know that like money is useful, but we know it's not going to bring us happiness. And, you know, we're the generation that like, emerge like out of mental health you know this this whole idea that like we need to do something about our minds and we need to do something that's going to help us not only find mental stability but also real happiness so people are actively on the hunt and um they're not going to take these like kind of old answers of like you know buy a house get married have kids and then that's it and then good luck you know there has to be something deeper than that and um and I think I was just like, you know, another person that was on that journey that, you know, had a lot of things that they needed to heal. And I think because um, I think it was helpful that like, you know, I'm not fully liberated. I'm not enlightened. There's not there's really nothing special about me. I'm just another, another person who's who's out there on the path. Um, but a lot of people are just more attracted to healing themselves. And a lot of people are now like thinking about the Buddhist teachings in different ways, or other teachings, you know, Vedic teachings, or just like anything that is trying to more deeply understand um, the more like metaphysical sides of life and no longer pushing them away into like, oh, that's spiritual. Because one thing that I've found is like, no, that's not, it's not like, you know, being able to know how to use your mind, being able to know yourself and love yourself. That's just part of life. Like, you should be able to know how to use your mind the same way that you should know what is good to eat for you and how to exercise and shower you should also know and have tools that help you cultivate positive mental qualities and um i think yeah i just been i've been really fortunate and um and i think the topic the topics that i write about they just hit and um and people connect with them because um it's just the right time
1: yeah i agree and um but I don't agree with the fact that you're not special. I think you're incredibly unique and special but um but we can argue about that at some other <laughs> juncture. Um, you know it does seem though that there is an addiction to outrage and to being in a state of outrage um, mm. and you write just beautifully um about gentleness
2: mm.
1: and but you don't witness a lot of gentleness. You know, particularly on social media, you know, mm-hmm. people seem to be, you know, hurling vitriolic barbs at each other, um, you know, without much hesitation, and uh, it's something that really worries and concerns me that we've become so addicted to living in outrage, and that, and that, that the edges of our society seem to be growing and becoming more radicalized, that we're becoming more tribalized, more atomized. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are staking out this very radical place in the center um, that uh, I, I agree it is, it feels like a salve, um, And I think when people do come across it in their feeds as I do, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, what a relief. You know, I'm not triggered, you know, I'm actually, I'm challenged, I'm interested, I'm, I'm digging deeper. Uh, I'm not having this emotional reaction to a judgment that I have about something else, which is uh, <laughs> uh, a tenet of, of stoicism that I'm starting to wade into. Uh, so, I th- I, you know, I, I just, I, I think what you're doing is so important and so powerful and also just very difficult. Um, so yeah, I applaud that very much. And the, the last thing I'll ask you is, um, is about intuition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you write a lot about intuition and I sense that, that you feel that it's quite useful um, and, uh, and that there's risk associated with it, but it also can really um, contribute to a fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. So I I have a lot of confusion myself about intuition and its utility. Um, But I want to ask you, kind of how how do you think about it and why do you think it's important?
2: I think about it, I feel like intuition is deeply connected to your like real aspirations for this life. And not just, you know, what society wants you to do, what your parents want you to do, but like what you like, karmically are here to get done, and in a lot of ways, I think intuition will, like, lead you to this to these points where, you know, they may be difficult or not, but they're here to, like, unfurl and allow the, like, evolution of the best parts of yourself, um, and it's similar. Like, there, there are moments where um, intuition just felt right. Like, you know, when I met my wife, I was like, okay, like, this person is massively special i need to spend time with them or the first time i heard about vipassana like i never really thought about meditating and then i was like oh yeah yeah i need to do that you know like it just clicked and there isn't this um you know it's i can tell that it's not fear or it's not anxiety because there's this very kind of calm persistence in it where it doesn't feel like it's riddled with tension it's just like you should do this you know and it keeps and it keeps coming up um, and I have the choice of whether i'm going to listen to it or not um but i've often found that like intuition if you follow it it'll lead you to beautiful places but it's also going to lead you to some places that are really difficult so that because they're there for your growth like i remember when i when i realized like okay i want to be a writer but like let me tell you like that especially with the first book like that was incredibly hard like to be able to create that to be able to Overcome like all the issues that I had in regards to like perfectionism and doing things right or even getting things wrong. Um, I had to like really beat myself at a very deep level, but it was the right thing. Like I, I'm glad that you know I was able to put it out there. But um, I really just think of intuition as like leading you to your deepest aspirations and it just being this like calm persistence that um, where things like click and feel correct so it's like yep even when you meet someone new and you're like oh yeah this person I should spend time with them this is a real friend and I've only you know met you for like a few minutes
1: thank you Diego I appreciate um, your time I hope that we get to see each other in three-dimensional space um, Mm. at some time if you're in Los Angeles you have a cabin with your name on it at any time
2: thank you so much and thank you so much again for having me on and this has been like a really awesome conversation I really appreciate it
0: Thank you
1: for listening to my conversation with Diego Perez. And be sure to check out his new book, Clarity and Connection. And of course, keep abreast of his wisdom on Instagram at Jung underscore Pueblo. Feel free to drop me a line any old time at jeffk at onecommune.com or follow my rantings on Instagram at Jeff Krasno. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name's Jeff Krasno,
0: and I am here for you.